fine. So, wait, so your keys are still in... <clears throat> in her office, yeah. She's probably not going to be back until Monday. Oh, you don't you don't have a key to her office. Or do you? Well, the, the keys are on the same ring as my house keys to that office, so that essentially locks those keys in the office as well. Yeah. <laughs> Hello friends and welcome to episode 9, I think. That's what I've saved this as, so hopefully that's true. Of So Poetry. Um, sorry for only doing one episode last month. Um, I will probably do an addendum to this episode and explain kind of what happened. Um, if anybody lives on the East Coast, you kind of already probably know what happened. Um, but anyway, I'll save that for the next the next little thing. Um, because right now I am... Oh, I apparently can't control volume when this thing's recording. Anyway, I'm currently sitting with uh, Karen Smith. Hello. Hello is a wonderful poet and a yarn master, both of the knitting and the storytelling kind. <laughs> um, we worked together briefly at Barnes & Noble Cafe. Very briefly. Yes. And, like, almost not, because <laughs> they really just pulled me over to, to your, the kiosk once a week to fill an empty shift Yes. in the mornings. Yes. And then I worked for most of the time over at the main store. So, um, the University of Baltimore has, uh, its bookstore is run by Barnes & Noble. There's a cafe in the bookstore, and there's also kind of like a remote or like a satellite cafe in the student center. The remote cafe is, or the satellite cafe is where I spent most of my time, and Karen spent most of her time in the main section, although, like she said, she was janked over a couple of times to fill spots because there was... Crazy. The turnover. The turnover yes. is uh, is real. <laughs> um, yes. So that's that's that. Um, do you want to tell a little about yourself, what you're up to, or? <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, I uh, went to uh, University of Baltimore as an undergrad, and I graduated in 2013, and then I went back uh, in 2000, starting in 2000. Um, I guess it was fall 2014, took a year off uh, to University of Baltimore uh, for their creative writing and publishing program, which um, Michael is a, a graduate of. Um, so I've just been kind of hunkering down a little more seriously with uh, writing. Um, I also still work at this particular cafe. <laughs> you're in like, you're manager position super now, right? yeah i was manager and then i when i when, once i went back to school i i became a part-time supervisor mm. um but then i also uh am a graduate assistant for uh, kimberly lynn who's the uh arts and theater manager at ub um kind of she does a lot of our uh, sort of arts programming on campus uh so i help out with a lot of uh concerts and theatrical productions and um various other programming that we put on uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, and if you, this episode will hopefully be up um, by the uh, crap, what's what's today's date? Today's the today's the sixth. Okay, so this episode will hopefully be up on the seventh, which is tomorrow for us. Um, 
So if you are around the Baltimore area, um, around kind of like Midtown area, uh, Tuesday through Thursday? Yeah, Tuesday the um, the 15th uh, will be, wait, 16th. Tuesday is the 16th. Um, starts off at UB's uh, African American Arts Festival, which is a annual, uh, is it going to be an 8th annual um, festival, but it's just a uh, week-long celebration of poetry and music and film uh, so um, during uh, African American History Month. Uh, so I think we're going to start it off, you know, you know what, it does start Monday. Monday the 15th is when this will begin. Uh, oh, there's cool. going to be a free screening of Beloved um, in the Wright Theater, um, which was uh, directed by Jonathan Demma and um, stars Oprah Winfrey and Donald Glover. Danny Glover. Donald Glover. The one on Lethal, lethal Weapon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's awful. Um, Tuesday Tuesday in the afternoon, there's going to be a, uh, a panel moderated by Stephen Levia of EB um, called Writing Towards Race and featuring uh, the Black Ladies Brunch Clip Crew. Uh, and then that that same evening, there will be a uh, poetry reading um, featuring Lady Breon um, and Tafisha Edwards. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, there will be a African drumming circle, a rhythmic healing circle. And then Thursday... There will be a concert of um, Langston Hughes' 12 Moods for Jazz. Uh, so pianist uh, Lafayette Gilchrist will be playing the piano while um, various uh, writers and poets um, of the UB community uh, read uh, this collection of Langston Hughes poems. Um, all these events are free, open to the public. Uh, they're all going to be in UB's Student Center. So if you're around, uh, please come out for one or more of those events. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long did it take you to memorize all of that? It wasn't memorized. I, oh. I, I only memorized it because I designed the flyer for it. So I've been looking. <laughs> I've been looking at all that content for hours on end, uh, getting trying to design these flyers and uh, the uh, ads and stuff. So has did the typography class help? With oh, this? oh yeah, no, yeah. Once so when it, I, in the program um, that I'm in, uh, that you have to take a. A course called uh, type, and type, type and Design, which is um, basically how to make the book that you inevitably have to publish look pretty. Yeah, uh, and it's usually, really, it was in my case, and I feel like it's probably the case for a lot of people in the program, that this is the very first time um, or exposure that you have to um, like digital design yeah, and creative uh -huh. layout and uh, graphic design and all and that e stuff. And even just considering typefaces oh yeah the fact it's like <laughs> do i want a sans serif or a serif for this or can i can i combine the two somehow right. or yeah um but yeah so i um once once i took that class my my ability to uh make ads and flyers for uh spotlight ub has just increased tenfold it's like i've definitely powered up since taking that class uh <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of i don't know if this was if this happened for you but when um, like as soon as I took it, I felt like there was all this, like I had already kind of absorbed a lot of the information that we were presented in class, but I didn't have the vocabulary or like the visual, um, acuity or anything to, to put it in place. But as soon as I kind of started getting that stuff, it like things started clicking in. Yes. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, 
I know why this doesn't look good in the middle of the page. Exactly, it's like, yeah. Because it's weighted differently. Now I can explain, like, oh, this should be, like, lower right-hand corner to counteract something that's happening on the upper yeah, left corner or somewhere else. That was that was definitely something that happened for me. Because for a while, like, I, I, get, I had an eye. Like, I knew... I knew that I kept, like, looking at flyers and, like, book covers, I knew whether or not things looked bad or whether or not they looked good. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I was just learning the vocabulary in that class to kind of, like, know why this looks bad or why this looks good. So now I, I find that I'm actually pretty more preoccupied with, like, uh, book covers, and I spend a lot of time looking at books now. Okay, so that, that leads me to my next question yeah. of, um, you know the adage, like, you can't judge a book by its cover. Yes. After taking the topography class, I do that hardcore now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame. It's a shame how many good books have horrible cover designs. Or like, whenever I'm at um, Ukazu, I always make a, a pass through their like, like two, well, maybe like three small shelving units of poetry mm -hmm. um, books. And there are some books that are they. They have kind of an air of self-publishing, which I am not knocking because uh, my first my thesis was self-published, and um, it's like it's it's not as big of a stigma of a thing yeah. now as it used to be. But um, I it's like I look at some of these things and either the cover design or the the internal text or like the like the font size or yeah. whatever the font choice they make. Mm -hmm. It's just like I know. And I, I can't I can't read it. There's just yeah. it's that instantly just disconnection from It's distracting, yeah. I mean I um I feel the same way when I copy edit where like, you know, their mm. ideas and like structure and content will be good, but yeah. when I see just typos and oh comma splices really do it for me. If I yeah. see a comma splice, I'm just like, let me help you. Yeah. Um Which is like I, a, a while ago, I, I wrote out something for a job interview that was uh, um like it had to be an unedited writing sample. So I was thinking about interesting. Yeah, that was that's the first time at Pin America. If you're if you're listening, that was uh, it had been <laughs> in my head for a while, but I wrote it out unedited. So it I was true to. I mean, it like had a long gestation period, but I wrote it without without going back and correcting anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I've been thinking a while about, like, is there such a thing as bad poetry? And I personally came to the conclusion that there's really no such thing as bad poetry. It's just, like, early or uninformed or that... Yeah, definitely. Like, oh, yeah. And I feel like that's the same thing with these designs, that it comes across as being, like, bad. But I think it's just because whoever has designed it, whoever did it, didn't know... Um, like didn't have possibly didn't have access to like the principles or the the information of like sure you know these are not saying that you have to make books any particular way but these are kind of like the better practice or like the best practice of like font size or font choice or if you want things to look a little more um not professional but like serious because like when you have a book that's that that's the physical incarnation of your writing and that's like the first interaction that people have mm -hmm. usually with your art and I feel like there's a certain level of like you really have to be um tuned in to how you want that interaction to go because that's like their first like the covers the first thing that they get when they were looking at your poetry or your stories or whatever it is that, that you're doing um and 
I don't know. There's a, like... Yeah. There's well, a lot of, like, power in that. that oh, maybe... sure, yeah. I mean, I... One of my favorite books that I've ever read, um, I picked off the shelf just by chance, and I bought it because of the cover. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of people, like, their writing might be solid, or they're just... It's just a matter of, like, kind of the having the sort of aesthetic language, and the aesthetic, like... I to sort of connect those two things together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was what <laughs> we've been watching the um, the Great British Bake Off. Yes, and um, yes. there's a character. There's a character named Norman, and Norman I'm sure is a fabulous baker, but he is a uh, he he at every but every challenge they're like Norman this tastes great but this presentation is like awful, and he's like. Well, it tastes good. It doesn't have to look good. I'm like, it, they keep telling you it's got to look good, Norman. Like, you gotta, you gotta yeah. just like take some of that criticism and realize that you know a lot of the the way that you sort of like communicate your technical skill is, and you know, like the care you put into right, yeah, this this cake that you've made is through the presentation of it. And I think design is the same thing with uh with yeah. writing certainly because oh, yeah. if I... you cause if you can show that you have a technical eye for design then it shows that you kind of also have a technical eye for writing right and it's it's i think that it's like a detail-oriented thing and i also that um depending upon like the context and the avenue of whatever is your presentation is for i think that also kind of depends or that can skew the rules one way or another it's like if you're going for a real kind of like diy kind of grungy raw feel you know, it's like you can do it. Yeah. yeah. You can do things that, that cater more towards that. Or if you're, you know, if you're baking a cake for yourself and you don't care what it looks like, you know, as long as it tastes good, you know, you can do that. But if, you know, if you're, if you're angling for these things that, that the, the presentation has to be a little more on point, then it, I think that it's, it's a, it's a tough lesson sometimes to like, to take that criticism to, and to accept mm-hmm. the fact that it's like, oh, there's still some like work that I need yeah, to do. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard being like, oh, this there's work that I still need to do, and yeah. I thought I was done. Like that's a that's just a hard thing to accept. Yeah, when you're like, <sighs> that happened. Um, so I, um, I don't, I don't mean this to be a, hum- a humble brag. This is this is just a, <laughs> like observations of of just like in retrospection of my life that I'm, a lot of things come kind of naturally to me. And I've noticed that once I reach the point where I actually have to start expending effort beyond what comes natural, I kind of jump ship to the other, to something else that comes natural. Mm -hmm. Um, And writing was actually like that for me for a while. Um, Like, I thought I was good, and then when I came across some, like, criticism or came across some just, like, oh, I need to actually kind of buckle down and, like, you know, work on this. I jump to, like, music or jump to something else. Um, and it was, it was tough. Like you really have to be like a, the level of acceptance and level of being honest with yourself when you sit down and be like, fuck, I really, it's like, I gotta, I gotta get not necessarily better, but just like more in touch or more something with whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, visual and like the visual stuff and the type and design was kind of like that for me, although I that seems to come a little easy. Like if painting, I I I'm crap at <laughs> layouts. Yeah, 
Yeah. I definitely, most of the things that I lay out definitely fall within, like, my personal style, which is, mm-hmm. like, eh. Yeah, I mean, I, feel, I, I do, I, I totally get you. Like, when I, like, when I was very young, my parents got me a guitar for Christmas, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna learn guitar, it'd be super cool. My brother picked it up, and, like, it came really naturally to him. <laughs> and I was like, fuck that. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh. I think uh, with the type of design class, like I, I think I kind of came in not having a whole lot of technical skill, but having an eye for things, and it did come naturally to me. And I was very, ex- I, because 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 it, I felt like I could do well in that class because I, the first couple of assignments that I did, I got good feedback on. Um, I definitely became more enthusiastic yeah. about it, which made me better at it. And I didn't, and you know, if I if I ended up dreading that class, then I would not have put as much time or care into the projects that I did yeah. as I would have otherwise. Yeah. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle where, like, you know, if you don't feel like you're good at something, then you don't want to spend time on it, which means you're not going to improve on it. Mm-hmm. It's just a, and then it just kind of like twirls down. Yeah, so. and then you're like, well, fuck, I'm not going to get better at this, and then you don't <laughs> want to do it. And then right. Like, yeah. 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 So. Mm, so. Poetry. Poetry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud of that that podcast title. And how it see, works. it's funny. You listen. It's funny listening to you say it like so. Poetry, because when I see it written out, I'm like so. Poetry. Yeah. So that I I read it in a very different voice than the voice that you just put on, which is which is funny. Well, it's there's there's myriad ways that you can you can encounter. Do you do, do you do different enunciations for each episode? No, actually, the last couple episodes, I don't think I've asked the question. Because um, it's usually, like, the last couple episodes have, the first couple of episodes that I did, um, it would be kind of like this, where we would kind of shoot the breeze about stuff, and then we'd start encroaching upon poetry, and then mm-hmm. I'd be like, so, poetry. Poetry, yeah. <laughs> um, but the last couple episodes, we kind of just, like, jumped right in, so I didn't, I didn't get a chance to be like, oh, I should have But anyway. Anyway. Um, so I'm going to ask you... Um, the question, one of, like, two questions that I will have asked everybody, I think, on this podcast. What does poetry mean to you? I think poetry is the closest we'll get to telepathic communication. Really? So there's an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Wait, which? It's, Next Generation? Next Generation. Next okay. Gen. Um, very close. I think by, by even in the last season. Um, it's a very sad episode, but it starts off, uh, well, uh, the, the character uh, Troy, uh, Deanna Troy, uh, um, is half Beta Zed, and she's an empath, and Beta Zeds are, uh, I'm sorry, no, Beta Zoid is the, is, the, is the people, Beta Zed is the planet. Um, she's half Betazoid. Um, she's empathic, um, but the Betazoids are telepathic communicators. Um, so her mother, who every time her mother comes on the ship, it's like a very, it's like a, it's a comedic episode because her mother is very like gregarious and ostentatious and <laughs> loves her big fabulous gowns. Um, it's a very sad episode, but uh, the setting for this episode is um, Mama Troy is making is helping this species of people that they've only recently made contact with um 
communicate with other species of races because these people only communicate at through images telepathically sent to each other. Oh. So Loxana has been um, can receive the images, and then she can also then she, but she also has the power to like verbally communicate what oh. it is and what it means. Um, so I feel like poetry is kind of like that. It's like it's the emotional communication through images. Yeah, and uh, and sounds I I kind of like you know I I feel like a poetry is always so connected to the 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 notion of emotion and being an emotional art form and I don't necessarily reject that but I don't think it strictly has to be that way. Um, like I remember. Um, when I was in like middle school and we were like learning poetry in middle and like our little middle school English class, mm-hmm. we were all like in our little groups working and uh, somebody I was in class with like uh, said like I really I don't like poetry like if you just if you have something to say just say it you know and I was like but th- they are just saying it <laughs> this is the this is putting it this way is much more accurate than it would be to just say mm-hmm. this is the thing that I'm thinking or feeling. Um, so I think I, I think it's just the way to sort of uh, de-abstractify abstract things. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I um. I I think I tend to agree, um, and also I um. But I think that poetry as an emotional, as like something that's connected to emotions, at least in the West didn't really come about until, I think, the Romantics. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because um, before that, it was all, like, the Alexander Pope and, like, satirical books. Yeah, it was and, all, like, it was, This it was is, funny. like, the playground of yeah. reason and logic and... Right, it was either, it was either, like, funny satirical or it was uh, sort of moralistic. Yeah. There's always, like, a very, very, like, um, explicit message that you were supposed to get from the poetry. Right, yeah. And then with, with the Romantic, it was like, ah, oh, we're gonna deal with... Internal, yeah, serious things. Right, and it was almost like a like romantic poetry. Almost feels like a like marinating in aesthetics. That's like too it's, much, man. It's, I love it. <laughs> uh, I I like thinking about um you know coming upon an old Egyptian ruin and uh, <laughs> contemplating the ages. You know, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of a sucker for that, that I, stuff. I kind of feel like. Um, Romantic poetry is akin to like Baroque or Rococo, art, art like artistic stuff where it's like it's just it's so it's very embellished. Yeah, and it's like it it kind of like you said it kind of like luxuriates in, you know, like yeah. in, in these moments <laughs> and in these things. Um, I'm when I was in undergrad, I was a huge romantic poetry fan, and then I kind of like. Once I started getting into like more, I guess contemporary stuff, I was like, "Oh, this is." Yeah, I'm gonna put you down yeah. for a sec. But <laughs> I, I think that it like getting to the poetry that I really enjoy reading now. It had to go through romantics as like a way to kind of break things out of. Sure. Um, same thing with like Dada or Cubists. Like mm-hmm. I'm, not the biggest fan of that style, but I understand that like, art had to go through that in order to get to the like abstract expressionism like Rothko or um oh crap Kandinsky or mm-hmm. 
Hans Hoffman. It's like all of those guys are like they wouldn't be doing what they were doing in a like accepted form of like art if it hadn't right. been for. I mean, everything has to react to what came before it, especially in the art world. It's like at this point where we are now, it almost feels like everything's sort of been done, and art itself like the, like the like what can be category categorized as art has got the the has gotten so wide maybe almost simply because if we kept to the standards that we know of it now like art would kind of stop existing or we'd just be doing the same things over and over again like yeah. you have to get pretty out there to do something new at this point yeah which i think i don't know if that's necessarily kind of like the I think that there have been artists that have chased the something new, um, and I think that there have been artists that kind of have done whatever, like whatever they wanted to do, and that has become the kind of like new mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Or that, you know, like art is has enough room that new stuff happens. But I don't know. Like I personally don't think that that's a like that should be a, a uh, primary consideration for an artist is to create sure. something yeah, that's fair. new. Because um, I it's like if you do something authentic you know it's like it's it's going to be new in the sense that like you're the one yeah I, I think I think authenticity is more important than doing something new like something new could be like I don't know uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a I'm gonna try and think of like a, a silly example and I'm gonna end up you know offending Pretty. the one artist in the world who does it <laughs> uh, but you know like I, I feel like uh, something that is important whenever you're creating art, whether or not you're really trying to go out there, whether or not you're just doing something that you feel is authentic is a, like, there's gotta be some kind of a craft involved, you know? You have to, like, have really worked on a particular method of doing something, like, whether or not it's painting or, um, sculpting or, uh, like, I feel like, I feel like having a medium is very important. Yeah. Um, and enough experience that you've actually kind of gotten like so that was for me with poetry that was something that took longer than longer than I wanted but I think as long as it was necessary to act to finally like get close enough to my writing to understand what the hell I was trying to do and what I was trying to say yeah um, and like that's it's different for for everybody in every medium it's like you have and this is tough if you're um, to like keep yourself from not comparing your to keep to back, ah, it is tough to keep yourself um, outside of comparing yourself to other artists because their path and whatever it is that they're doing is not the path that you're on. Yeah. Um, which actually was something that being at UB was I think the first time that I really understood that like all the poets that I worked with that I graduated with, none of them wrote like me mm-hmm. at all. Which is so valuable. Yes. You know? And even, like, the type of design, like, seeing all these, like, seeing how everybody designs things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that was, that was, that was another really interesting thing about that class. And you get a sense of, like, aesthetics. And I, mm-hmm. I think that there is, I mean, there definitely was for me, um, like, overlap in how I design things and how my poetry and how my music exist. And, like, the same, um like the same approach and the same stance that I have for that type of stuff comes out like in all of the artistic things yeah. that I do, which is a really like neat, 
like centering thing for me that it's like, oh, okay, this is actually like a part of me, and it's just manifesting itself in all this, all the things that I do. So if if I were to like go into a room and look at like, I don't know, one of your paintings on the wall, while I was like listening to you read one of your poems over a loudspeaker <laughs> while you were playing guitar over in the corner, would it all fit together? Would that all be a complete experience? I, I want to say that it would be. Um, I mean, my poetry and my music definitely have a fair amount of overlap with each other. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to think that my layouts also, at least when I'm doing it for my own stuff, also kind of get that experience. It's like lots of space, lots of openness, lots of place, like, lot, like gives you space to kind of like sit there and think about stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not really dabbled into painting other than doing some like Zen calligraphy stuff, but I feel like that was also kind of in line. Although yeah. I, I actually, um, so I'm, I'm taking an aerial class right now where we are, um, choreographing our own, um, routines and we're going to perform them in March. Wow. Um, yeah. And we are about halfway through and it's kind of terrifying that <laughs> we have another like like a month and then yeah. we're, we're doing it um but we uh i'm i'm doing a like a duo routine so i'm um do you know maria mendoza Have i you? feel like i've heard that name okay I, I don't think we've ever met um so i'm i'm doing it with with her she's a, a good a good artist a good friend of mine and a really solid artist in working in baltimore um but we did our routine kind of for like the first time on Thursday and a bunch of people like stopped and watched us because yeah. we needed like two fabrics and stuff. And afterwards, um, somebody in my class told me that watching us do our routine reminded them of Maria's paintings and my poetry. And I was like, wow. oh, this is like, you really couldn't have said anything more perfect. I was like, this is, like, and then the, thinking about, and, like, talking about now, like, the, the music and the layout and, or my layouts and my poetry and apparently, like, my physical movements all are, like, I don't know. It's just, it, it's a real, like, stilling thing for me to know that, like, there's some, some quality or some, something in me that unabashedly manifests itself in all the artistic and, like, creative things that I do. Yeah. Um. Which I don't know. It's neat for me. I like I like that type of consistency. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you feel any like overlap between your art and like the like knit craft stuff that you do, or do you feel like they're in separate spaces? I think I do. Insofar in the way that I really appreciate color. Um, where, you know, knit, like, knitting is almost like a, a purer, um, uh, form of that where if I see, like, a yarn that's really pretty or if I see two yarns that go really nicely together, I'm just mm -hmm. like, I can't wait to make something that has those two colors in it. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and with poetry, it's almost like sometimes I will just, um... I'll sort of like observe something and a lot of times the when I observe something that I find to be very inspiring I suppose is the word uh, it'll color will often be sort of like the first thing that I notice about it okay 
Um, and that's only what I don't know when I when I kind of like see things that I find that are that like when I see things and it makes me feel a kind of way. I want to think about the way that I would tell that same feeling as a poem. Mm, okay. Um, and so it was like the same thing of like looking at that and being like, I can't wait to sort of make a poem out of that. Okay. Is kind of where I'm at with those those two categories right now. Have you ever thought about somehow like or getting into like fiber arts and exploring a kind of like um, like using yarn and like kind of that type of stuff but creating like just visual like artistic pieces out of that instead of I've thought about it um, because I think that would almost be uh, like like knitting is such a technical thing sometimes I think I would almost be better at that than I would be with just a like okay. knitting a, knitting something um, uh, you know just making something that is kind of beautiful to look at or uh, you know something that I had a lot of fun like manipulating rather mm -hmm. than something that is sort of a practical item of clothing okay or something um I, yeah I haven't, I haven't really done that yet um i would love to see you do a series of like hats or scarves or sweaters or something that have lines from your poetry on them <laughs> you know what i thought of doing recently again we keep coming back to typography <laughs> but it would be really cool to chart out um, like knit versions of oh. typefaces, like taking like I don't know like a like future or something, and like charting out what the like like you know the quick brown box yeah that would look like in that typeface as a knit object, Ooh. and like charting that because a lot of, with different um, styles of knitting like uh, you the patterns are often charted uh, so you. Um, if you're doing lace, for instance, or if you're doing cabling, there will be a chart that you follow that you go row by row and it shows you, the chart has symbols in it that tell you like what you should be doing for each stitch that row. And if you're doing color work, uh, like Fair Isle, where you're, where you're basically where you're switching colors, um, that will also be like charted out where you might see like a, a graph or something and then it'll show you like, you know, the hearts on this sweater are in this color. so. When you go five stitches in your color A, you're gonna switch to color B in this row, oh, and then wow. switch back to color A, and um, it's almost like a like sprite art or something uh, <laughs> the way it looks. Yeah. Wow. Um. So you know, like kind of like it would be really cool to like look at a letter like really like up close and be like, okay, if I were to try that in the pattern, it would like go here and here, and I would, like this certain row would have like. I don't know, six stitches in that color, and this row would be seven stitches in that color, and kind of really thinking of, considering the shape of the, the letter would be very interesting. You should consider um, a Baker's grant or award or whatever it is, and do that. Or do like a residency and do that. Because <laughs> that sounds like it's something that would be crazy involved, and you would need to oh, yeah. just oh my like, God. just focused on that and nothing else for like a month or two yeah because i don't know like i i can't even like imagine how people even come up with 
typefaces and like making letters look like certain things and then make them look consistent as a whole. Yeah. Like that is like I, I don't I don't know if my brain works that way, but maybe I could get there if I like really like so it was almost like a meditative practice really looking closely at the um, right, yeah at the word and trying to recreate it as in another medium i'm i feel the same way about people who come up with new ways to fold stuff for origami mm-hmm. or like they can look at something like oh, i'm just gonna fold this oh bam a rabbit i'm like bam. how <laughs> what are you thinking about and some people have have just have just like brains that just like visualize things in a way that like I'm very envious of. Like, yeah. I really wish I had that sort of engineering brain. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's something that people are born with or something that they achieve, and I'm hoping it can be achieved. I think that it's probably like most other things. Is that there are probably people that are born with a maybe a natural tendency towards that direction. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for them to get to a point of, um, like, maybe not mastery, but just um, expedience with it. Whereas for other people, it would probably take, like, um, poly, uh, plots? No. Polymaths? What, what's the name of the people, name or term for people that speak multiple languages? Is that polymath? Polyglots. Lots, okay. Um, like, people who learn language. Some people just take to languages. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they can pick up all of them, like, every, every single language out there in a matter of, like, mm-hmm. two years. And for other people, you really have to fucking struggle with it. But, yeah. you know, it's like you could get to the point of being fluent in, like, Romanian. It just would take you a hell of a lot longer yeah. and a lot more effort than know. somebody else. Yeah, no, I, I, my brother is like that. He, uh... Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, he's fluent in Spanish and Arabic, and, uh... What? Yeah. I mean, throughout high school, he was in Latin. He took, he took Latin as a class, and I think that... Uh, so I think, like, if he felt like picking up italian or french oh yeah it would be super easy for him yeah but i think he's the kind of person who really enjoys challenging himself so i think when Mm. he went to school and started learning arabic something which is you know a very different language family and obviously a completely different alphabet i think he um really saw it as a as a way to sort of get out of his wheelhouse and and stretch almost uh yeah which I've never heard him actually speak Arabic. Um, It'd be funny if his pronunciation was just terrible. It would be funny, but um, I mean, he he, he his um, his boyfriend is uh, is from Iraq, and um, so I, I'm sure Ahmed would tell him. <laughs> but uh, wow, yeah. So, but he wow. said like he was studying so hard that like he would leave Arabic class and then go to another class, and he would start writing his notes from right to left instead. He's like, oh. Wait, I'm not. I'm not there right now. And you have to like remind himself to switch back and forth. Wow, I had not not nearly to that level of just like intensity with the language. But the last, so I took French for like I don't know, like two and a half, three years in grad school. No, yeah. not grad school. No, not grad. Under yeah. Um, I don't think the MFA program has has French. No. Um, and I got like. In taking French, I got to the point that I could, like, if I read something, like a paragraph in French, I, mm-hmm. like, I could get it. My pronunciation was terrible. Um, but the, the language that I took before French was a semester of Russian. Oh. Um, which is a very, like, things are way far back in your mouth and down in your throat. Yeah. Um, so my first, like, week or two of sitting in French class, I was pronouncing French words as if they were Russian words. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the eyes in, in, in French, like, all the vowels are way up in your nose and way up towards the front of your right. mouth. 
and I was pronouncing something like eyes way back in the back. Like, <laughs> this is not this is not working out. That's right. funny. I was I was just saying to somebody last night. We, well, my I went with uh, my roommate to get while she got her tattoo, and um, while we were there, uh, the the counter, um, the person working through the counter had was having a conversation in Russian, and we came back. And we started talking about like Russian and. Um, I've never seen The Hunt for Red October, but apparently Sean Connery does a, a Russian accent in that. Kind and it's of. like, I, kind of, exactly. Like, I can, like, imagine somebody who has an American accent trying to do Russian, but yeah. I have this, like, disconnect where I can't imagine anybody else with another accent uh, Especially if one Russian. is, pr- like, weirdly pronouncedly Scottish as Yeah, especially Scottish <laughs> and Russian. Like, those are two very strong, yeah. uh... Um, like sounds that I, I, I don't understand how uh, anybody who's, who has a Scottish accent could speak anything other than a indiscernible in, yeah, yeah I just was uh, like I, I, I'm sure people have done it and I'm sure Mr. Connery has tried <laughs> but um, I was actually listening to NPR a couple of weeks ago and they had well I mean I listen to it every day but mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago um, there's a guy who, for one of the theater productions, they're doing some Irish play, and he was hired to, like, teach people how to speak with this particular Irish accent. Oh, is that the Everman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he went on to, uh, Maryland Morning and was trying to teach Tom Hall and Nathan Sterner how to say a particular phrase in that particular Irish accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was funny to, like, hear him slip, like, speak English, or, like, speak without the accent and then slip into it and, like, the trying to figure out like where the placement of like where where is the eye and where like would you you'd say a vowel and kind of just let it slip down a little bit so that you kind of like flow into the next thing mm-hmm. that you know it's just I think I want to say that people who um, have are, are that have better ears for music are probably a little bit better at picking up like at least picking up languages, languages yeah. or like accents or something because mm-hmm. it's all in like um, it's like auditory mimicry because you have to be sure. able to hear it and then you have to be or like impressions you have to be able to hear it and then like figure out what you need to do with your mouth and your voice to, to do the get, same thing yeah to get yourself into that place yeah I it's it's funny because my um my parents are are from New York and uh I I don't think I can really do a New York accent but you know, they've lived down here for, you know, almost 30 years now and are very Marylandized in pretty much, like, every way. Mm-hmm. But as soon as my mother gets with her family, mm-hmm. it's just, like, it comes out. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, not, it's not quite that strong. I'm, I'm definitely exaggerating. But um, definitely the when my, my, my when we visit, like, my, my, my dad's family and he sits there and they all still have very strong accents, uh, he will also yeah slip into it. And it's not so much like a... A typical like what you think of a New York accent is it's more just like the volume even mm-hmm. is yeah is different and definitely still like the way that my dad's laugh is still sort of in a New York accent. Um, <laughs> well, I never thought about like people who have accents that when they laugh they laugh in whatever weird accent <laughs> right, that they have. Right. Wow. <laughs> Like, uh, like when I laugh, I kind of like, it kind of like suck air in and it kind of like sticks in my chest and kind of like do that like uh-huh. thing. Uh, but my dad's like, a, is more of like a, a, a louder, um, 
not so much a cackle, but like a a repeating A sound um, <laughs> in a particular sort of like top of the mouth raspy sort of uh, sort of New York way. And there's, there's just something New Yorky about it, and I can't quite put my wow. finger on it. Huh. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm, that's gonna give me a couple of good hours of thinking about. Yeah, and it, like... even the differences between his family and my mom's family, because mm. my dad's family, um, like his parents uh, lived in the Bronx, and he was even born there, mm-hmm. and then he moved out to Long Island. Oh, uh, okay. But my mom's family, her mother was born in Brooklyn, and um, her father was, lived on Long Island his entire life. So my so my grandmother has, is just like a it's a Brooklyn accent, um, but like their family is much more like Long Islander, uh, okay. kind of. Huh. So it, it's it's weird because the way that my my dad's father talks is not the same way my mom's grandfather talk my mom's father talks. Right. Yeah. Wow. And a guy came into work the other day and he got a coffee and I was like, "You sound exactly like my grandfather." <laughs> I was like. And I, I I asked if he was from New York and he was, but he I, I almost want to be like, are you from the Bronx? Because <laughs> I actually, <laughs> it's, it's just really funny. You know Michelle Juno, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she um, she taught my technical design class. Oh. Oh right. We yeah, there. that's right. Yeah. I was I subbed for that. Wow. Uh, Michael came to visit this this, uh, this class one night so to much explain stuff book has design. Happened in the last month, even though I know or no last couple of months. Anyway, anyway, so at um at our MFA reading, her dad came up to me. Um, so Michelle is from Lafayette, Louisiana, which yeah. is where I went to undergrad, which is like west, kind of south-ish from New Orleans, although possibly just kind of west. It's like Cajun country is really all you really need to know about it. Um, but her father came over to like my table and was talking to me, um, and we were talking about accents because like you know Michelle I think has told them that I'm also from Louisiana, but I'm from New Orleans, but I never picked up. The accent. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the hell I sound like, but I definitely don't sound like somebody who has lived, <laughs> lived in New Orleans yeah. for like 21 years. Right. Um, so we were talking about accents, and he said that um, he had been talking to a linguistics friend of his, and his linguistics said, friend said that the reason, um, like, New Orleans and Boston and New York and Baltimore accents all kind of sound or like Jersey accents all kind of sound similar, but like they could all be, be within the same family, but there's certain differences. Um, like for me, a New Orleans accent is if you took a Boston accent and fed it a huge fucking dinner and just let it slip into a food coma. (laughs) Um, cause like New Orleans, the at accent is one of the laziest ways that you can speak. Yeah. Um, but the reason for that, they all kind of sound similar is because it's like, that's the port accent. So it's an amalgam, like the port, yeah. the cities that, that are ports have um, gained kind of an amalgamation of um, all the prominent language that are, that <laughs> languages that are around there. So whatever. they all sound like sailors. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And the, I think it's whatever one's more prominent. Um, if it's like an Irish or Italian or French or Spanish accent, that's kind of what flavors it the way that it's flavored a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, I guess New Orleans would be also would all kind of be like French and Spanish and then lots of Caribbean stuff like lots Creole, of Caribbean yeah. Yeah. yeah and then Boston New York would be very Irish Italian and then I don't know Baltimore because where I don't know what the 
the sort of like pronun- I guess I guess it comes from Irish, but the sort of pronunciation of like a ths as, but the, the well the pronunciation of ths as a, as ds, oh, um, yeah. is very similar to the way that um if you spoke with an Irish accent uh, ths become oh yeah just ts, yeah um. That was actually one of the things that, in saying the phrase that they said, I could I'll pull it up for you on <laughs> later if I can find it. Um, but one of the things is that, like one of the the ths or a d or something, tr- like shortened it to a t. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's yeah. Uh, it was fine. We were um, uh, my roommates and uh, and my boyfriend and I were at dinner at Outback Steakhouse the other night, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I know, we, the waiter took our order, and um, he walked away, and he was like, I'll get you that, he said, it was like, we barely heard it, but he, we're all pretty sure he said, I'll get you that there beer, and um, walked away, <laughs> and uh, I think he like showed up, like, that's their beer, and um, walked away, and then we started talking about, like, I wonder if uh, all the Outback Steakhouse people are trained to uh, slough off their uh, Baltimore accents and speak in Australian accents instead. And how we would like catch people, like we would trap him somehow. And be like, tell me, um, do you have a device in the back that um, cleans your dishes for you? <laughs> uh, what what was what would the name be for this particular device? And he would then go, it's a dishwash, <laughs> dishwasher. <laughs> There's a guy that I work with that whenever he says um, wash or Washington, he throws an R. Yeah, like, wash. You're wash. Washington. Gotta wash it. Gotta wash this. Have you taken the um? There's an online quiz that, like, points like pinpoints where your. I have taken that. Okay. Yeah, uh, if it's, it it pinpoints your um where where your uh. I'll throw a link up in the description. Yeah, but basically it, it asks you how you pronounce things or what you call certain things and pinpoints uh what your regional accent is. Yeah. So I I've learned that, I don't. I don't have the accent of a, a, somebody who lives in New Orleans, but I have the same terminology as somebody who lives in New Orleans. In New Orleans. It's so interesting. Least, yeah. So for like um, semis or 18 wheelers for me, mm-hmm. um, if you have a street, um, so if you have like a four way intersection and you have something on this corner and then something on the other corner, they're cat corner or cat corner from each other. Yeah. Um, not catty wampus. Whoever says that is dumb. <laughs> You're weird probably cool but still it's it's dumb see i took that quiz i never heard anybody say um catty corner or kitty corner before but now that i know that that's a term i've started using it Uh, oh Um, so this is this is a big one i actually didn't realize that this wasn't a thing until i was with some friends in lafayette and we were i was driving somewhere with one of them in my car and i was like oh hey look something's happening in the neutral ground and they're like what (laughs) it's like you know the neutral ground like the the strip of like land between two opposite direction streets and like the median i'm like <laughs> what because <laughs> in new orleans it's the neutral ground and they're mm-hmm. the, the, the historical reason is when the um french and spanish both had control of the city like it was broken up streetwise and you had this strip of land between these streets that was neutral territory interesting i did not know that so you call it a neutral ground and like even in driver's ed i never learned that the thing between the streets was called the median right and i thought everybody called it that and then i went to lafayette and i was like oh no or at least i thought everybody in louisiana called it that and then i went mm-hmm. to lafayette and i was like oh no this is a strictly new orleans this is thing. a very localized yeah. piece like of terminology here making groceries or going um passing by somebody's house which are direct, like, transliterations from French. Um, 
because uh, in French, uh, I think it's faire du corps is to to do or to make groceries. Uh huh. So you translate that directly into English. You just, you're gonna go make groceries whenever you have to go to the store. You're making groceries, and then if um to go to to go somewhere is uh pass air. Yeah. So if you pass if you pass by somebody's house, you're stopping to go see them. Oh. Instead of like, you're not you're not literally, you're not literally passing, passing by. by. Yeah. Yeah. So so you say like oh I passed by your house the other day like oh so you didn't talk to her like no I passed by your house so you sat down and had a conversation. Right, yeah yeah. Or like if you you tell somebody yeah I'm gonna pass by your house in like fifteen or something and then you would go there to be at the house instead of just like you're not just like rolling by. Yeah. <laughs> so it tells you you're pa- they're passing by your house and you're like oh I'll get a cheese plate store name and then yeah. like it's like where are they <laughs> no I just rolled through <laughs> um language is weird I took a linguistics class in undergrad and there was like all the on like wikipedia and wiktionary like the little like pronunciation things those that actually makes sense to me now because of like how mm-hmm. ugh and it's all, like, it's mostly vowel placement that determines where, like, what you sound like. Yeah. Oh, I read this, um, I read this really, really cool poem. Um, actually, let me see if I can bring it up on my phone. Yay, poetry reading on the podcast. Poetry reading on the podcast. Oh, shit, is this? Oh, I missed a call. That's not good. Is this the... No, I guess Ray was 2016. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Whatever. All right, let me let me. Um, so this is uh, this is by a uh, Irish. Um, oh, cool! I, I didn't. It's still on. It's still on. My, it's still on. It's still on Chrome, <laughs> which is perfect. Um, this is by an Irish author named Francis Harvey, who uh, passed away recently, I think. Um, but uh, I was reading about him, and um, he has. He, he lived in Donegal, County Donegal, which is right at the north tip of. Ireland, but it's not in capital N, capital I, Northern Ireland. It's still in the Republic. Um, but it, it borders that area of um, Ireland that's still part of the UK. Um, and uh, so I, 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 this is actually a, a subject I know a bit about having traveled to Ireland. And um, But in Northern Ireland, uh, there is a lot of uh, tension between um, Protestant people who are lo- who typically are very loyal to the United Kingdom and want Northern Ireland to remain part of the United Kingdom, um, and Catholic people who tend to be nationalist and want a united, um, completely independent I- um, Ireland. Um, but Francis Harvey, uh, his mother eloped, his Catholic mother eloped with a Protestant man. <gasps> Um, and I was reading this, uh, he has a poem called Love Letters. Um, H-M-H, the mustard consonants stand to attention like soldiers on the page. No surrender to the insidious, mellifluous importunities of the songs the siren orchestrates out of A- E-I-O-U From the seduction of vowels, Lord, deliver your consonants and know your own by the sound of their names. O'Shea, O'Flaherty, McHugh and McCool, 
Names that could hardly have been more than names to him, not people they'd ever invite to afternoon tea, until she came, voweling like a swallow from the south, and melted every consonant in his mouth. So this is cool because, so HMH, um, I'm intimating that that is, no, I'm inferring that that is the initials of his father, um, who is Protestant and, uh, probably of English or Scottish ancestry, um, and has this sort of, uh, implication of, um, you know, English straight-lacedness, uh, but if you know anything about Irish names, um, they're full of sort of, to speak, uh, unnecessary vowels. Um, <laughs> and like there's but there's lots of uh, E's and I's and G-H's and um, M-D in, like, M, or like M in the Irish language, like, is a V. And it's, it's really? quite different rules, yes. Um, no. uh, so it, it's this very... Uh, it's it's a very like lovely poem about like the his father falling in love with his mother and um just through like using language itself as a as a um mm. uh a metaphor for their relationship uh until she came voweling like a swallow from the south is a great line yeah and melted every consonant in his mouth. It's, it's, yeah, it's just a really great time. Uh, so talking about those two um, sort of traditions of language, because hmm. because Harvey is not a uh, Harvey is not an Irish name. It's a it's an English name. And but Francis, I mean, boy, every good Catholic boy is a Francis. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. I don't think that that segues into any of these other questions that I Sorry. wanted to ask. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. I was just I was like, can I... I brought it back to poetry, though. Yeah, no, that's, that's a segue. But I was like, can I, can I get this to work anyway? Oh, um, okay. Well, since you read a poem... Okay. What's your thoughts on poetry readings? Hmm. Both both the um, being in the audience of and being in the performing uh, being a performer of, or performer for, reader for whatever. For both, it, it depends on the kind of poetry. Um, I think uh, narrative poetry is much more suited to be read, um, and I think uh, poetry that's more of like the spoken word, uh, social justice kind is also much more suited to be read. Um, like read aloud. Read aloud, yes. Okay. Uh, spoken. Um, I should say, um, but for a lot of a lot of poems, I I prefer um, to have I guess a more private. Um, I feel like reading them to yourself is a much more private uh, experience, and I think uh, there are definitely poems that are more suited to that. I've actually I've been thinking about this. I this I have another question that's kind of a follow up. Um, but I wanted to say 
I, I mean, one, I definitely agree. And I, I, I think that the distinction between like the social justice and the, the, like, the ones that, that feel like they, they want to be performed or spoken versus the ones that want to be read might be a distinction of um, like how, the, how the poet wants to interact with the audience. Because like, the social justice, like spoken word stuff, feels it's much more, it's not necessarily about like, an intimate connection with no. the audience. It's much more of like a... Um, like it's an oration that it's like yeah like I'm I'm trying to to inform and to influence and to like to get as many people as I can to think about this this thing yeah those are poems where you expect you know the audience is going to clap at certain points and right. like yeah. whoop and you know like yeah. basically cosine yeah versus um, like poems that that feel like they want to be read on the page I feel like are much more um conversations and intimate interactions with the poet yeah and there's something about um because i was sure with the belief that like you know once you put a um, piece of writing out there you can't there like depending on what it is you might not be able to sort of you as a person may not be sort of present with the piece of writing um hmm. sort of in a way you know the the author's intent can't always be right. explicit or um, known to the reader. Um, yeah. So I think it's important for the reader to take something away that's different from what the the author was putting out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's and I think that's valuable. Um, I feel like when you do sp spoken word or when you're reading a poem, you want it to be heard. You you can you can use yourself to sort of um, influence the way. The audience is interpreting it. You can use your voice, oh, and yeah. you can use um, inflections, and it's like you, you become the poem. In you that. become the poem in that yeah. way, yeah. Um, and I think I have poems that are like that. I, I have poems that are um, more stories that I'm telling, and there I have poems that are, you know, are kind of like a me, like that are sort of about things that I observe in the world. Um, and things that I want to say about the world. And I would definitely, those are poems that I have, a, I, I write them differently than the other poems because again, um, uh. they're much, they're much less, they're much more literal. Right. Yeah. Um, like I have a poem about, uh, um, the city, like city paper and they have a, uh, they have a section in city paper called murder Inc. And I wrote a poem about like the way that they report basically these murders and how they're so anonymous and Damn. almost like a like a what happened in baltimore good old body more murder land this year um and i i wrote that because i just thought it was really just an insensitive way to to talk about people's lives getting messed up yeah um but then i have other poems that are just like oh this year this is a thing that i was feeling and um it might be something that I don't want to be, you know, be uh, seen for almost. Mm -hmm. Like I might have a poem that has a kind of like a, a strong emotional memory to it. And um, the same way that people kind of clam up when they start crying. I is Those are poems that I don't want yeah, people you, looking you want at it, me yeah, for. Yeah, you want it to be out there, but you don't want to be present. Yeah, like yeah. I like I said it, and I kind of made my peace with like 
said these things, but, uh, you know, it, it like, I, I still have sort of my, my own privacy intact in right, a certain yeah. way. Huh. So this actually kind of, this actually leads into my next question, but what, and I, I feel like I, I know probably what your answer is going to be, but what is the, what would be the ideal way that you would want your work to be experienced? Like, how do you, how would you, how would you want an audience to come to it that would be, like, this is the way that you want it to happen, if you had complete control over it? Hmm. Other than, um, reading versus spoken... Um, if it's reading, I like the thought of my poem being in a book. Instead of, so you would... I like, I like the thought of my poems being in print and printed out as a physical thing. Would you rather them be, um, and this is possibly kind of another question, but, um, like, would you rather your poems be encountered kind of like one one by one in like magazines and literary journals, or would you rather them be kind of like grouped? together? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know because I think I've only um, I like the thought of them being grouped together, but the only poems I've written that I um, wrote with a specific idea of them being together was. Um, the persona poems mm. that I have, um, and because I because I did that for a project, and I, I thought about the way that they would, the order that they would be in, and the uh, um, and how they relate to each other, and the story they kind of tell together. Um, but a lot of the other poems I like I, I've written, I don't think about them as as uh, a part of a whole. So when you, um... but if they're all from me, then I guess that means that they are. <laughs> yeah, implicitly. <laughs> implicitly, yes. Yeah. So when you like, when you write poems, is it like a kind of a steady stream of, like you get you get ideas, or do you go through periods of like, your super productive and then there's kind of like a lull and then you're productive again and then there's another like is it cyclical or is it is it like a steady thing for you? it's more cyclical definitely um uh i might write two poems a day even um which doesn't sound like a lot but it is for me because i'm i do have those very long lulls uh and then i might like you know type them up and revise them and i might have like a couple of days in a row where i've written something or revised something and then i uh don't for a long time which is not good uh and then and that time around that time like i'll like you know i'll start thinking again kind of feel like oh you know i really should write something soon and then i start sort of thinking of 
there's kind of two ways that uh, poems come to me. Like, either it's been a really long time and I start really thinking about things I want to write about, mm-hmm. and then I kind of, like, pump them out and revise them. <laughs> or out of the blue, I will just, um, I might get, like, a phrase in my head, and I'll kind of get stuck in my head for a little while, and then I'll kind of build a poem around that. Okay. Um, so things will either, like, I'll, I'll either really go searching for one, or it'll just kind of, like, pop up on my lap, like, show up on my doorstep. Oh. Yeah, it's either one or the other, and uh, one one's more out of obligation right, than yeah. anything else. But uh, that doesn't mean that like you know the poems that I write from one source are always better than the poems that I write from the other source. Right. Yeah. Do you do you feel like there's a difference? Um. Like, do you, do you feel a different sort of attachment to the ones that kind of just happen to you versus the ones that you have to, like, seek out and write? Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel closer to one or the other, or do they, like, once once it happens for you, a poem, it's like, however they come up, a poem is kind of, like, it ha- it's in the position of a, of a poem. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, um, the ones that I, like, write after a long time, or I sort of felt like I, I need to write one, I... I feel closer to those poems only because I've really, like, considered what I'm writing about and because mm-hmm. I, s- I tend to spend a lot more time with those poems because they haven't necessarily come out of an organic place and I spend a lot of time... Uh, they're much more intentional. Yeah, they're much more intentional. Okay. Um, then the poems that I, I that kind of come out of nowhere, um, I'll write those out and they seem pretty good and then, um, I'm ha- like, I'm usually fairly like happy with those once I've written out even maybe I'll revise it like once or twice uh but those come and go much quicker Mm -hmm. than the ones that I really intentionally sit down to write Hmm. I think that you could I think in that respect could probably do pretty well at writing longer form narrative stuff I've it's getting to that point. I actually started something last night that I um, it was turning out to be a very long poem. <laughs> um, it was funny because we were we, again. I was sitting in this tattoo shop and um, they were playing a lot of really good music. And one of the one of the like albums that we were listening to was like some very cool like Southwest funk kind of kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was getting this like. Uh, I was really, like, feeling, like, the desert and uh, thinking about the desert. And then I started thinking about, like, the concept of the desert and, like, wilderness. And then I started thinking about um, the character of Lilith. And then I started, like, Uh... writing kind of a Lilith poem um, Mm -hmm. and trying to think about that. And uh, it's coming out much more narratively um, than how I usually write. I think I'm going to start trying to get into more narrative types of things i it's i have not talked to a whole lot of prose writers about this but i feel like there's a certain it's like people who can who can run marathons who are willing to do that training that's like there's a something in you that there's this like weird dedication or persistence that keeps you with something and allows you to kind of return to it um having not lost it's like you can go back to it and keep it at the same level and then work at it and then yeah. leave it there and then mm-hmm. go do something and come back and you, you can still get yeah. there. Because, mm-hmm. um, m- like, most of the times that I 
I write poems are very much like the kind of they just happen to me and they're really fucking fleeting and they're just like you you have to catch them and then throw them down and then like that's it yeah. there's no you know like then the revision and stuff happens but there's not this like long tedious of like I really gotta sit down and really fucking like, think about <laughs> think what I'm about trying it, to say yeah. it's just it's like and I think in my experience I'll, like I I um I mull things unconsciously or subconsciously for a long, long time mm-hmm. before the poem happens. So it's like I've already kind of worked out somewhere in my head or somewhere in me what exactly it is I want to say. And then it's just a matter of kind of like like reeling it up out of the darkness. I'm like, okay, this is a phrase. And then here's another phrase. And this phrase maybe should go before these two phrases. And then there's this phrase. And then it's like you're, it's like more along the lines of constructing it out of stuff that's already kind of there as mm-hmm. opposed to like trying to modular yeah yeah i um yeah that's something i i i i i never like really like play with is is like the order of the lines i uh i never think to be like oh what if this line was at the end of the poem yeah i i just i'm, I'm just like um like i'm just like this is the order that everything came out and then like there's a, I will just okay we'll go line by line and think of a better way to like say these things but I'm yeah. never like let me take this and put it over here I'm just like no yeah. I don't <laughs> when I when I write poems I can't do that mm-hmm. um, same thing with when I was writing when I wrote papers in undergrad um, I had to start with the introduction and if I could get that then I could yeah. get the next mm-hmm. thing and I, I can't do it piecewise it has to be in like yeah. relative order but when when I revise as soon as I'm done actually writing the poem any like it's free game it's like I, yeah. I will chop it up and <laughs> like, delete shit there's actually um oh I'll delete things definitely yeah. but yeah um one of the like the turning point poem in um my collection actually was the middle section was left alone but the the like first couple stanzas and last couple stanzas were flipped oh um cause in the way that the my thesis ended up coming like developing was that the majority of the poems in the beginning were kind of like lonely sad um like disconnected stuff and then it slowly becomes a little more still and more connected as the poems kind of co- as they go throughout the, the collection and the one in the middle or the one that was happening in the middle um the way that it was set up it ends on a sad note but it needed to end on like a like a stiller yeah note um, so by flipping them, the mm. stanzas around, um, it achieved that. And it mm. actually, in my, it, for me, it made the poem a lot more, like it made it tighter that it's like, oh, this is, like, this is what I was trying to yeah. say with mm-hmm. it. Um, that's something I need to do is kind of look at some of the things that I've, first of all, I got to start trying to like get, pull all my poems into one place, like on a single folder on my computer. So and I then I can go through I'll and try chopping it up. To Google Docs. That's it, what, I'm trying to get everything up to a Google Docs folder. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, like, spread between, like, two laptops right now, and, like... Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, because I, um... Because, uh... Kevin, my, my boyfriend, like, he got... Because when I was taking this type of design class, like, I really needed a computer that could handle InDesign, so... Yeah. He had his laptop, but he wasn't really using it anymore because he needed something more powerful, so he got a new laptop. So then I inherited his, which could run InDesign just fine. Uh-huh. And then the one that I had, which was, like, a very, like, very standard web browsing and word processing type of laptop, which yeah. just kind of, like, fell to the wayside. I know that there's stuff on there that I got to pull off of there and uh, get all in one place. 
Because it's also, it's, it's fun finding a poem that you haven't read in a really long time and you kind of forgot about. Yeah. And by fun, I mean like, wow, this is really shitty. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of times that, um, like I have a bunch of songs and stuff that I've recorded and a lot of them are on my iTunes. And mm-hmm. there are times it's like I've, like I have that playlist uploaded to my iPod and sometimes I'm at the shop or I'm out somewhere and a song will come on and I'm like, who is, oh shit, this is me. <laughs> fucking wrote this like, what <laughs> it's a weird experience to, to like think that to hear a song like oh this is really fucking cool wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> I don't know yeah. like at least you had a positive reaction to it <laughs> yeah oh god the, um so I've I've told a handful of people this um mostly it's just the people that I've seen um, but over the, over the blizzard, I started working on, um, an EP and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing songs and I have three songs left. Um, that's the best time to work on anything creative is when you're snowed in. Yeah. I was like, I got nothing else to do. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't, so I, um, there's a music program I have called reason, which, um, is like, uh, digital versions of like rack mount stuff that make like crazy synths things and mm-hmm. it's. Super, super fun. And I, rec- I also recently upgraded my laptop. Um, and on my old laptop, I had Reason 3. And the one I have on this laptop is Reason 8. So I've been out of the game for a long, long time. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, I haven't really dicked around with this yet. So I might as well just use this as an excuse to like try to figure out what the hell like mm-hmm. this new program is. Um, and I spent probably like five hours one day working on a song and then later on that night after doing like a delirious revision of some of my poems at like 12 yeah i probably got back to the song around like one or two in the morning i listened to it again and it sounded like shit (laughs) and i was like fuck yeah it had this weird because like in one of the the rack things that i was using um wouldn't play chords and i didn't realize that while i was so like it, it, I don't know why it wouldn't. I think it's just peculiarities with certain settings and stuff. But like, if you played two notes, it would pick one of them to play and not like oh, both of them. Weird. So I didn't realize that until um, like I was looking at the song and trying to like do a little maintenance on it, and I was like, oh, this is only playing one of these notes. So then I like created a like duplicated the the little like section thing and then made it so it sounded like chords and then I, that's when I exported it and I didn't listen to it and then I listened to it and I was like oh this sounds terrible because now they're chords and these things don't work with some of the yeah. other notes that I had and I, I had this weird sort of like like I think more pronounced than I had before this moment of like what the hell did I spend like I spent seven hours working on this fucking thing and it sounds like sh- trash yeah um and this like I got super, like, super artistically mopey. Right. <laughs> um, and then the following night, I went to bed at 12, and I couldn't sleep. So I was just like, well, I guess I could use some more, go work on this fucking trash song. <laughs> this fucking trash song. So I, I, like, opened it up, and I was messed around with it, and then I fixed it. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it, nice. and I was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. Yeah, like, it like, wasn't me. It wasn't yes! me. <laughs> But it's we like, I've never had that experience with a poem. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like ever. I, I mean, that's the first time I've had that experience with with uh, like music. So there's a chance that it'll happen with with my poetry. But usually it's like I'm either like eh, and then I don't do anything with the poem, or I'm reading it like yeah, this is fucking awesome. I can tweak this. I can tweak this, and then you know like it just becomes better. Yeah. Um, like I've I've never done anything to a poem, and I I think it might be the medium too, because you know like you can save things and undo stuff, and it's not like words not a very is not a tough thing to to like figure out or like Google Docs. Whereas with reason, there's like I did so many things to it that I yeah. didn't know like if I just kept hitting kept hitting undo, it's like I don't know where the hell I would have ended up, which is also part of the frustration. It's like mm-hmm. it was so it's a hell of a lot more involved. Um, I imagine it'd be like if you like knitting something and you like drop, like you drop the stitch or you've done something and you don't catch it until like, way, late, yeah, and you're like, like way, way, way back. Like, yeah. I, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The worst, the worst is when you realize you have to just kind of undo the whole thing. Yeah. Which is then you're like, I could just, I would just, just burn it. Just yeah. scorch earth this so, entire... I know. So now they just, like, pull out the yarn. She's like, it's fine. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I just... You know? So it's, it's like... Yeah. That's actually the mentality it's that like... I had when I shaved my head the most recent time. Yeah. Because um, I was doing some maintenance on it, and I realized that the undercut was uneven in the back. And I was like, it has been like this since I've had the undercut, but I never knew. And now I can't not know it. Right. Um... <laughs> It's like when you, if you're like riding a bike and there's like a loose nut or something that you don't realize until you get home and you're like, yeah. oh shit, my tire could have fallen off. Right. And it didn't. Nobody but said. it could have. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, well, fuck. Right. There's like, no going back now. It's like, I'm, it's fine. I, I could start over. It's fine. <laughs> oh. Um, Okay. Is there a poem that either you have written or somebody else has written that you either love and or hate? Um, <laughs> let me start with a poem that I hate. Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. Really? Not my thing. That is one of the few not poems that I can actually recite. Can't, don't, not into it. Okay. Not into it. Go ahead. Um, no, I was going to say, if you... If you imagined Victor Freeze from Batman the Animated Series reciting it, would that make it better or worse for you? That'd make it just the same, because that's how I think of it anyway. <laughs> it's just, it, I don't know, there's something about it that it's just like, I don't know. I'm gonna throw that up in the description. <sighs> like what? It already sounds like that, like that tone of like somebody who's... Have you heard Robert Cross reading it? No, I'm sure I would like it better if I heard. It sounds like it sounds so close to Victor Freeze. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it, it's it's it feels like such like a like like an affected poem that yeah. like yeah like it's the same way that like watching the that Batman movie with George Clooney and Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger yeah, already feels yeah. No, I was um, I meant. Like yeah. the old school animated Batman the animated series, Victor Freeze, like the one where they they turn him into like an actually sympathetic character. Oh, yeah, I, I mean I can do that, I can do that because he's mopey, you know. Yeah. He's, he's oh yeah, he's got some existential stuff going on. Nora. Yeah, but I couldn't. 
I couldn't do like uh, like the nonstop ice puns in. Oh uh, no, that was terrible. Like I thought. It would... Or like the bat nipples. Bat nipples, yeah. If you the... if anybody out there has not did not know this, on the Joel Schumacher Batman Forever, was it? I don't know. One of the whatever. Think it was, um, no, Batman Forever was the Val Kilmer one. Batman and Robin was George. Oh Clooney. okay. So, um, yeah, whatever whatever Batman was with. Okay, yeah, because that he did have Robin. Um. There are nipples on the bat suit. You can Google it, and I'm sure that there are people that have drawn big old red circles around them somewhere on Google Images. But it's there, and they serve no purpose, and it's terrible. And there's Batgirl is in that movie too. So it's um, what's her face? Uh, she was in Clueless. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, you know what? Girl from Clueless plays um. Um. Batgirl, and her, first of all, she just suits up. Like, they just happen to have a girl Batgirl suit, like, laying around the cave. With no nipples. With no nipples. I'm, uh, that, that film is... Because I guess that would have been explicit. Hashtag free the nipple. Hashtag free the bat nipple. <laughs> Alicia Silverstone. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Wow, Chris O'Donnell was Robin? Yeah. Yes, he was... Wow, he's 45? He's looking. He looks okay. I... Uh, anyway, sorry, I was... Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Is... what What is a poem... Well, you were the first person that I've asked that that has actually had a poem that they, that they just like, like, on the ready. Well, I mean, you did send me these questions in advance, so I guess I thought about it. <laughs> No, but, like, the other people that I've sent these to, so when I ask them that, they're like, I, I don't know. Because I feel yeah. like most people... And Robert Frost is, is, is big enough and established enough that he's not going to be hurt by me being like, oh, I don't really like this Robert Frost poem. Yeah. It's whatever. I feel like Who there's... Who am I? <laughs> I feel like it, it kind of... It's usually, like, people don't like particular poets, like artists. They're like, I'm not a fan of his work. Not so much like an individual, like, oh, this mm -hmm. is, like, everything else is is golden, except for this one piece of shit that <laughs> we just happened. Um, but I also feel like there's not, like, poetry seems to not really elicit that type of visceral, like, I hate. It's usually, like, I love this, or, eh. I, I do have that response sometimes. I think it's just from being in, like... I think a lot of it's from, it is, is from taking, I've had workshops in my undergrad career with some people <laughs> who could not particularly, write poetry particularly well, mm -hmm. and it angered me, um, and, uh, I had, uh, much more, uh, visceral responses to the, to the poems than I, uh, gave in class, <laughs> which I, I would keep it pretty professional. Right, yeah. I, there are definitely poems that I was like, what is this? Why, why? Why would you? <sighs> yeah. Like, there were people who, like, doing, like, acrostic poems, and you're like, oh, guess what this poem's about? And you're like, it's an acrostic poem. I see that. Yeah. Like, the if you don't just write a poem about the thing, like, it's fine. Yeah. I'm, the only time that I get, like, really, really salty, I mean, so I had mentioned this a bunch of times before, and it's not, like, I don't hate this poem. I just, I think that, Elliot could have edited it a little bit more. Um, 
We'll have someone go to jail for proof rock. The last stanza should not be in that poem, in my opinion. I think I've heard that one. So I can I can give you the last couple of stanzas, or I can give okay. you the, um, although I will bring it up because I don't I don't remember. I stop at at this. Um, Song, not the cure. Uh, J. Alfred Proofrock. I okay. win. I got it. Damn it. I also have a phone. Okay. Do, do, yeah. Do, do, so. Do, do, uh, um. So I, I think that it should end with. I do not think that they will sing to me. Yes, that's like. It's also on its own line. Like th that says yeah. like ending, you know. Because like in like, the rest of it, so like, and I've I've done this before, and I will probably do this many many more times until somebody actually fucking axes these last two stanzas. But like, um, I grow old, I grow old. I should wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I will wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I've heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. Where it should end, but no, it keeps going with... I have I've, seen them yeah. riding seaward on the waves. Yeah. Combing the white hair of the waves blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed in seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. So if those, if those two standards were somewhere else in the poem, like, if you could just, like, copy-paste them somewhere else, would you? Or would you just delete them completely? No, because, like, they don't... I don't feel like they do anything... Um, I don't feel... I mean, I it's been a while since I've actually read the entire poem all the way through. Mm -hmm. I just usually fixate on the, the end. Um, <laughs> but I don't feel like they do anything to add to the poem. Because um, it essentially just, like, it brings up like more water imagery um and like introduces the whole kind of like you know um that this is like the his fantasy life or the all this stuff is the dream and the real life is like the death and all that yeah which feels sort of played out whereas if it ends with just i've heard the, the mermaids singing each to each i do not think that they will sing to me it's like that's a really a super fucking evocative image yeah. Um, and it leaves the poem very, very open in this weird contemplative... I mean, that might also be it. It's like, I love open contemplative endings for mm -hmm. poems. That it's like, mm -hmm. you're just left to just think about this shit. Yeah. And with this image of this old man on the edge of the beach with his trousers rolled up, looking at the ocean and, like, just with this all this regret and this just emptiness of his life. Right. It's like, yes! Yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about a poem that you like? What's what's your like gold star poem? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Bring it up. Um, I'll get mine queued up in a second here. Well, actually, I have. Um, uh, I actually probably should, could have gone to go get this book. Um, I have two. One of them is my is my. Um, my standard, and then I will go. Oh crap! Where's the other one? Um, I will see if I can find the other one real quick. Um, where are you, Charles Wrights? 
wanted to, you could go ahead with with yours. Well, I'm trying to find oh, okay. this one. All right. Well, I'm trying to find it online because I didn't bring the book with me. Uh, and I can't seem to find it. Bees in a basket. Bees in a basket. A bees in the basket. Bees, bees in the basket. Um. Oh, okay. Ha, fine. What do you got? <coughs> is it one of yours or is it somebody else's? No, it's somebody else's. Okay. Um. Oh, crap. Did I... Fuck, where did I put my phone? Oh, boys. Did you bring it over there with you? Probably. I probably uh. did. Oh, yeah, here it is. It's right over here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so first one is... Oh, Ryan. Ah, smack my head. The first one is... Okay, back. First one is Orion by Mary Oliver. Mm -hmm. um, Mary Oliver is one of my all-time favorite poets. This is one of my all-time favorite poems. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we go. I love Orion. His fiery body. His tin stars. His flaring points of reference. His shining dogs. It is winter, he says. We must eat, he says our gloomy and passionate teacher. Miles below in the cold woods with the mouse and the owl, with the clearness of water sheeted and hidden, with the reason for the wind forever a secret, he descends and sits with me, his voice like the snapping of bones. Behind him, everything is so black and unclassical. Behind him, I don't know anything. Not even my own mind. <clears throat> it's like it hits you right where you live. Yep, right where you live. Uh, do you want me to go or do you want me to... I can't find the whole text for mine, so... Uh... Oh, no. Wait, oh, wait, Got it? Yep, here it is. Awesome. Okay, lay it on us. It's a weird... Um, it's not... Ooh, hold on. Um, it, it's... Uh... A Seamus Haney poem um, called A Bat on the Road. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll read the uh, epigraph, which is from James Joyce. A bat, yeah. A bat like soul waking to consciousness of itself in darkness and secrecy and, in, and loneliness. You would hoist an old hat on the tines of a fork and trawl the mouth of the bridge for the slight bat thump and flutter. Skinny downy webs, baby nails, clawing at the sweatband. But don't bring it down. Don't break its flight again. Don't deny it. This time, let it go free. Follow its bat flap under the stone bridge, under the Midland and Scottish Railway, and lose it there in the dark. Next thing, it shadows moonslicked laurels, or skims the neck of a tennis court and, ah, oh, shit, I'm realizing that it's cut off right there. <laughs> there's there's more stanzas, and I, ugh. It's bad on... Bat. A, bat, a bat on the road. Uh, let me see if I can... Oh, let me... Oh, maybe I can pick it up. So where, where were we? Alright. I, I really... I was hoping that Seamus wrote, oh, shit... No, no, it does not, does not. He does. He does not say that. Um, uh, 
Discord. Shit, like I had it memorized. I'll see if I can find it and put it up in the um Yeah. In the description. Um I feel like Mike Rupneta saying that. Mike, if you're listening, thank you for Idea Channel. Great show. Sorry, what? Sorry, I was just trying to... Yeah. No, I, I was I was saying that um, I'll do what I can to find like the full text of it and put it in the, put yeah. it in the description. And I said I... I, I have I have it in a book at home. Maybe I'll just like type it up and send it to you or something. Yeah, because I don't have it memorized anymore. But it's a great poem. I was, I was really engaged with what you were reading. Thank you. I know it was really like I'm gonna write a poem in in memorandum of Seamus Hanny. Like Can it start with oh shit? No, it's gonna like break into that halfway through the poem. It's gonna be this real like Irish sounded thing and then it's gonna be like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Um Do you wanna hear? Yes, you're okay. right, please. So this is by Charles Wright. Um it is not uh I think it is one of his more recent books. 2006. So there's a couple of books between this one and his most recent one. Um, this is from Scar Tissue. I think his most recent collection is Caribou. Um, when I grow older, I would like to be a weird, some sort of weird amalgamation of Charles Wright and Mary Oliver. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's my dream. Because um, Oliver's got the nature, and Charles Wright has got this shit. Yep. Uh, title of this poem is Time Will Tell. Oh, actually, um, when I was reading this, it sounded better if you did like a kind of a southern drawl, so I might try to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, hopefully I won't lose it uh, partway through the poem. But anyway, time will tell. Time was when time was not. In the world, an uncut loan ready for sizing. We looked and took the job in hand. Birds burst from our fingers. Cities appeared and small towns in the interim. We loved them all. In distant countries, tides nibbled our two feet on pebbly shores with their soft teeth and languorous tongues. Words formed and flew from our fingers. We listened and loved them all. Now finitude blooms like antimatter. Not this, and not that, and everywhere, like the presence one bumps into, oblivious, unwittingly. Excuse me, I beg your pardon, but time has no pardon to beg, and no excuses. The wind in the meadow grasses, the wind through the rocks, bends and breaks whatever it touches. It's never the same wind in the same spot, but it's still the wind and it blows in its one direction, northwest to southeast, an ointment upon the skin, a little saliva, time with its murderous gums and pale, windowless throat, its mouth pressed to our mouths, pushing the breath in, pulling it out. Yeah. Like what, like what the shit? Oh God! I, Pushing uh, the breath in and pulling it out. Like I've never, I've, I've run it's, a, so, it's so quiet, but it's so violent at the same time. Yeah, it's very. 
Like I've I've read a lot of poems in which time Animal. is personified, but I've never read a poem in which time has been personified in that particular way. Although saliva. it makes yeah, it a makes a little bit of saliva. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like the wind is an ointment for the skin. Like what? Like Charles, if you're listening, like what? How, like so part of me like I want I really want to write like this but I feel like I'm not old enough and I'm not lived through enough shit, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean I, I would like to but I feel like that's it's like I'm like maybe when I'm 50 I'll yeah. be like okay I can I can start okay here like we this. go yep, yeah time yeah but like the wind in the meadow grasses the wind through the rocks bends and breaks whatever it touches it's never the same wind in the same spot but it's still the wind and blows in its one direction. An ointment upon the skin, a little saliva, time with its murderous gums, and pale, windowless throat. Like, what? Its mouth pressed to our mouths, pushing the breath in, mm -hmm. pulling it out. Yeah. Because, I mean, that sounds like... Because it's described as, like, you know, murderous... But that's that's CPR, you know, like that's like it's it's and it's an ointment, so it's like, yeah, it's it's like destroying you, but it's nurturing you at the same time. Yeah, the thing that saves that kills you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, since well, no, I don't want to use that as a segue. Um, <laughs> I was gonna try to concoct something, but um. So I asked Shreya this last, um, last episode, mm -hmm. and I think that this would like, I might make this a question that I ask everybody too, um, but if you could, um, what is your eternal landscape like? Eternal landscape? Yeah. If, well, if you could describe it. Um, like, I don't know if you, if you thought yep, about Yep, nope, there it is. Okay. Go. Um... <laughs> I know what it looks like. Trying to describe it's another thing. Um, or you could not describe it and just write a poem about it. Could I have? Oh. Um, it was a. Uh, I know I, I, I keep coming back to Ireland, but um. But when I was uh. I took a bus up the Antrim coast and um. We. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, the whole, like, coast drive was really beautiful. Um, at one point, we, the bus turned into a town and then, like, kind of went away from the, from the sea. Mm -hmm. And, um, we kept going up this really big hill, and at the top of the hill, there was, like, nothing. Like, it was, like, just, um, like, Ooh. big. Like, it was really weird the first time, because it was, like, it was the top of the hill, and there was just, like, the sky, and, like, it seemed like that was just it and it was like flat and it was a moor and it was just um so so empty and so vast and they there weren't even there weren't trees uh there wasn't like anything really man-made um and it just seemed like almost uh it kind of felt like we were at the end of the world um Except for the road, of course, but, uh... You gotta get to the end just, of the world somehow. Yeah, it's just very, you know, 
vast and flat, and then we kept going, and, like, you know, the hill dipped back down over the road, and it was just, like, big hills, like, big hills, um, and it was just, uh, again, like, I come back to the color of it, and it was just a, a really beautiful, like, silvery gray sky, because it was overcast, and, um, you know, green, you know, obviously very lush and green, but, um, also had like you know touches of like tan and like these little red plants I guess kind of scattered in with a tan so it was um so I, like I think about that uh a lot um and then you drove a little farther and I got into um, a forest uh drove past a forest called Valley Patrick Forest and then we went kind of like dipped back down towards the um the coast again as we were coming into Bushmills uh, so yeah, because we were going up to Giant's Causeway that day, um, which is a uh, very interesting um, geological site uh, that's rock, and uh, but all the rocks are coming out of the earth in these perfect hexagons, like Whoa. little pillars of them. Um, it's like Steven Universe shit right there. It is. It's yes. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, it's from, it, it, you see, it, it's actually up in that whole area, like, there's, um, islands on the outer, like, Hebrides of Scotland that have that same volcanic hexagonal rock pattern. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, but it's, um, just, uh, from very, um, precise, uh, vibrations in the earth from volcanic activity, you know, millions of years ago that made these, made the rock kind of, like, form into these hexagons um and come up out of the earth and then like the you know the myths up there are you know a giant built a bridge with it from you know ireland to scotland so that whole kind of like like under the sea there is that pattern that's ridiculous yeah it's very cool you're looking it up no i <laughs> my roommate texted me and i wanted to make sure that if she was coming in we could like stop the podcast but she's Okay. She's gonna be a bit. All right. Um, no, but so yeah, I'm, that's that's just a big. Um, you said it was Giants Causeway. Giants Causeway, but yeah. So the, so the internal landscape is um, uh, quiet and flat, except for you know the giant hills. Um, I guess. Uh, hills hills are flat. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's almost the feeling of, like, there's nothing beyond that hill, almost. Hmm. You've kind of gotten as far as you can go. Do you... Do you feel like the, your internal landscape has... Um, like, does that influence your art in any way? Or, like, does the, the quietness and the, the spaciousness of that... Do you feel like that... that gets drawn into the things that you do or is that just kind of like the foundation that the rest of the stuff is built up upon I guess I just try to I don't I don't know if it's um it's something I I am always kind of looking for is that same feeling mm. um maybe yeah not even in like my own art or anything like that but like uh just um in other images and um so you're looking for like echoes or things that stir like that kick yeah, off the same that's uh, that yeah i'm looking for that wow. same feeling everywhere i go huh 
I'm going back there this summer, so I can't I can't wait to see it again. Soak up that as much of that as you can. Yeah, I'm hoping that like I don't know. I'm trying to trying to plan it so I can get there a couple days early or leave a couple days late, and I can just kind of know. Um, have some you time. Have some me time and just kind of like walk around there instead of kind of like passing through on the bus. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. I also, uh, I mean, I have a sort of a preoccupation with the desert, and I actually have not seen the desert. I've not been um, anywhere west of, like, the Maryland panhandle in America, so I, I... I... I have the same preoccupation with the Great Plains. Hello? Um, which actually was um, fed a little bit when I was in out in Nebraska. Um, oh, yeah. With, like, the flatness and the openness, but it's, it's a... I feel like... Because... I actually, I don't know if I mentioned this um, when I was talking to Sheree about internal landscapes, but mine is pretty close to yours, except it's like prairie. Yeah. Um, just huge, massive, unincorporated, unpopulated stretches of prairie with one house and a little log with a fire pit in like various locations. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, uh, but this sort of place where, like, you know, you can kind of, like, see the clouds moving overhead by their shadows on the, yep. on the ground, yeah. Yep. Um, and, like, that's, I feel like I need to go visit, like, South Dakota um, and just be out there and just experience it. Because when, when I went to Nebraska, like, mm-hmm. I got the, the vastness and the openness and, like, at least the, the big sky. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is pretty much, like, this is what I'm feeling on the inside, but it's a little, like, the flavor's off just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I wonder if I so I, I think that I seek out things that feel as spacious as it feels for me on the inside because um, there's, there's not necessarily I don't think a particular feeling that's associated with that but it's like space like that's what I'm that's what I seek out yeah um, have you like for your own like seeking after that echoes of what of like what if like your that internal landscape makes you feel where have you encountered that the most like what what form of um like either what form of like art or like what medium of art or in like a natural setting if that makes sense i can ask the question yeah i i feel like i i feel it most um either when i'm at the beach like like you know at toward by the ocean uh-huh. um i get that and uh also, just on the highway, um, the highway has a tendency to be, hmm. um, uh, have a certain kind of emptiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, a certain kind of a where's the end mm-hmm. kind of feel. Yeah. Uh, and art, I, I guess I feel that's sort of thing, um. I guess in music, for the most part, I can't think of a particular song or artist right this second about that I've... Oh, no, yes, I can. <laughs> um, uh, Radiohead. Really? Yeah, Radiohead. Any particular um, song or just yeah, like them there's as a... Yeah, uh, there's a song called... Um, it both both of these are on the In Rainbow album, In Rainbow's album. Um, videotape. Um, and uh, All I Need. Interesting. Yeah. 
it's funny, like, I don't, like, r- listen to Radiohead very often, but, like, it, like, I think Radiohead might be, because of, because of that, um, is, 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 like, definitely, like, number one band. Hmm. Not in, like, a favorite band sort of way, but, right, like, yeah. as far as, like, music goes, like, Radiohead has really, like, done it for me. Um. I, I do, I try to listen to a, a, um, a lot of classical music, and I cannot for the life of me think of this particular symphony. Um, but I was like, night something, night something. A lot of preoccupation with um, night, too. Uh, middle of the night, or like really early in the morning. Hmm. Um, okay, that's nice, good. think of like where I even stumbled upon it I think I was I think it was when Leon Fleischer was doing his concert at UB and I was looking at his page oh um and this um the the studio that um produced his uh his most recent album also produced a recording of this particular symphony hmm. so let me Leon Fleischer is incredible too. He's a he, he lives in Baltimore um, and like teaches at Peabody. Really? Yeah, he he's a pretty incredible pianist. Um, you said it's Leon Fletcher. Uh, Fleischer, um, F L E I, S H E R. Um, he uh, played. Um, so I mean, like during like the '60s, I think he began to lose mobility in his uh right hand oh he's like he retaught himself how to yeah he yeah so like he couldn't he couldn't play piano with his right hand so he taught himself how to play with just his left hand um and was playing for like that for a very long time until he like threw um a bunch of sort of like alternative treatments for the condition that he had uh he regained feeling in his right hand and started being able to play again so his debut concert, like his, the first concert that he played um, after he began to use his right hand again, um, was the first concert that was ever uh, performed at uh, the Meyerhoff Hall after it had been open for the first time wow. in the 70s. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It was, really, it was really interesting. I got kind of preoccupied with it when I was like writing up a press release for this uh, <laughs> performance performance at UB because and I was like looking at like newspaper clippings from like the show and like uh, yeah you know the news stories from like the you know the opening of the Meyerhoff but also the return of this great pianist um yeah cool stuff wow hmm well that feels like a good place to to throw out my last question alright um anything you want to ask me like, no holds barred in okay. anything. Um, I guess it's so. Three questions I will ask everybody. It's good, good to know. Mm-hmm. 
I know that you write in haiku and um, are very dedicated to haiku. Um, what, how do you, what's the difference in your writing when you're writing in a, in a specific form versus when you're writing not in that form? Are you asking specifically about haiku or just... It could be haiku or just any form at all. Okay. Right? Um, whatever, whatever, however you want to answer the question. Okay. Um, well, haiku is really kind of the only, like, set form um, that I write in besides, uh, like, free, free verse. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not big on, like, writing in form. Okay. Um, I... There's not really any particular reason why it's just, like... It's not how I think, and I prefer to write the way that I think. Um, so, um, before discovering haiku, my poem was a, my poetry was a lot more um, like abstract and kind of like I don't know, like too like too poetical. Um, but it's like you could you could. It's like you could tell that it was trying to be a poem. I know, of, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking um, about. Yeah, like real, like self-aware, but not actually self-aware. That weird sort of space. Yeah. Um. And, like, they were kind of tangential, and there was nothing really to like anchor them anywhere. And then after discovering haiku, it kind of radically changed to a, um, like, focusing very much on, like, image and the kind of the experience. Um, now to the point that most of my longer poems feel like they're kind of um, like linked haiku, like in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, and like the main difference for me now is really just the length of them. Like haiku or the sh like the short ones, usually three lines for me. Um, and the other stuff is just longer, but my approach to them is kind of about the same. Mm -hmm. um, that it's more so a like a way of viewing things and a way of trying to position myself with other stuff because um, my longer poems are, are um, like most of what I write is autobiographical um, but there's a lot of times that I don't actually really show up a whole lot in the poems um, which is directly an influence of haiku where it's like to be in the experience but not have it translated as like my like to not like insert yourself into yeah. the experience and have it just be like anybody could have happened upon this because that's you know it's like it's the for haiku the idea is to um to transfer the thing that like the the context of the of an experience that made you feel something in order to try to engender the same feeling in somebody else Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm not going to share with you what I felt. I'm going to share with you, like, what led me to this feeling to, in the hopes that it gets you there, too. Yeah. Um, which, as a, like, a, I guess, like, a poetical philosophy is something that I've, I think I've been trying to do, or it's like, that's kind of the main way that I use poetry. So after learning that that's kind of what haiku does, it's like, I've kind of adopted that as my mm -hmm. overarching, like, I want all of my poetry to do that. So yeah. there's certain... Um, like certain things um, 
that I will focus on or certain ways that I write or I try to present things that um, to like heighten that. Okay. Um, so all your poems kind of speak with a haiku accent. Yeah. I Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially like after discovering it, they do. A lot of my earlier stuff, like um, earlier as in like, like four years ago mm-hmm. writing, because it's only been since like 2012-ish um, that I've really been, that I like, that I discovered it for yeah. myself. Um, yeah, but since, yeah, since discovering it, or since kind of like incorporating that into my writing, there's really, there's not a whole lot of difference for me than writing, like writing a haiku versus writing my other poems, except like length and trying to be, um, super super economic with um with my words like i wrote one uh tuesday actually um it is um mild day the snow gives in because i was i was walking to work and um like at rei like the parking lot's covered still covered in snow yeah. but it's all like melting and right. stuff and i was trying to like capture that sort of like um i don't know just trying to capture like the experience of walking through the parking lot and like seeing all the snow just mm-hmm. you know like melting and give like like kind of resigning itself to the fact that it's yeah you know it's not cold anymore right um so instead of trying to to get like the entirety of what i experienced it's really focusing on kind of that that one the, the distillation of whatever it was and just mm-hmm. kind of trying to bring draw everything down into kind of like that one moment yeah um which and uh, that might also be another distinction is that with haiku it's a, it's a lot of like trying to parse down things until to the, the true essence of whatever it is versus like longer poems that i'm still trying to get to um to these moments and trying to get to the essence but I have a lot more space to kind of like develop stuff and to kind of like move around a little bit yeah um, but oh yeah also sorry I mean it has nothing to do with me but it, sorry that the thing that I invi- the haiku thing that I invited you to got bumped to oh I'm still April. interested in going because yeah. I definitely want to learn more about it I'm, I'm seriously considering putting up on the Facebook um, like that event of like questioning whether or not this thing is actually going to happen or because this is the <laughs> second time that it's really been, yeah so there's a um anybody's around baltimore um in april now apparently april 2nd um there's an introduction to haiku happening at litmore with alexis rotella who's been writing haiku for years um i'm going to try to get her on the podcast i she i was going to try to get her on for today because this is when the uh this Saturday the 6th is when the so this when the thing was originally going to yes. happen so it was originally going to happen I think in November and then it got bumped to February like today and then earlier this week it got bumped to April um, so uh, I can I could, I guess I could put a link to that in the um, in the description too if anybody is curious Because sooner or later I'm going to have a all haiku episode of this podcast. Um, now apparently it's going to be in April. Um, 
if it happens, if it doesn't get bumped until like 2020. <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Gear the haiku. Gear the haiku. Um. Okay. Cool. cool. Um. This is episode nine. Uh, do you have any any sign off that you want to do? I've been trying to come up with like one solid one, like a consistent one, but I I have not yet. Uh, uh, oh, what's a good sign off? Uh, <laughs> the only thing coming to mind is a uh, Bill and Ted. Be excellent to each other. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do. Be, be excellent to each other. Yeah. What Karen said. Um, <laughs> so I will. If I have time tonight or tomorrow, I'll, I'll make an addendum. I'll make it short, um, actually short, because there's not a whole lot that I'm going to be talking about. Uh, but, yeah, so this is episode nine. Uh, I will do my best to have actually two um, guests for two episodes this month. Um, life happens, so if I don't, please be gentle and forgiving. Be excellent to him. Yes, please. Um, I need all the excellence that I can get. But... Aside from that, um, thank you all for listening. I hope that this is an enjoyable experience. Uh, if anybody has any questions or comments, um, you can comment on SoundCloud or I think my email is attached somewhere on there. You can send me an email. Um, it might take me a little bit, but I will respond to you. Um, so until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>